invite you to turn uh, with me in your scripture to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. Uh, we'll be reading verses uh, 22 uh, through 26. Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 22 uh, through 26. This is the uh, ever-living and abiding word of the Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up. And said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help today. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you. Uh, that you have given us your word, and Lord, you have told us in the, in the Psalms that uh, we are dependent on you to open our eyes, to illumine uh, the word that you've given us by your Holy Spirit, that you would send light uh, and grace, uh, that we might uh, not only have uh, read these words uh, with our uh, external eyes, but that we would see the truth as it is in Jesus, a work of the Holy Spirit, uh, within. So help us, we pray uh, today, that the one who preaches would preach faithfully and anything that is not of you would fall to the ground. But Lord, we pray for all of us as we hear your word today, uh, that we would receive it, uh, that we would know the truth and the truth uh, would set us free. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Oh, to be able uh, to see uh, clearly. Oh, to see things Clearly. Remember uh, Joseph's brothers uh, in Egypt in Genesis 45, where uh, Joseph's brothers have a number of uh, opportunities to go to Egypt to uh, get food for the family. And uh, several scenes in the book of Genesis where uh, Joseph's brothers are are right there in front of him and Joseph is before them. uh, But they they don't know it. Uh, And oh, if they could have uh, realized right away. Uh, that who they were dealing with was was their brother Joseph to see things clearly. Uh, or what about Balaam and his donkey uh, in the book of Numbers uh, to see things clearly? You remember uh, Balaam, false prophet, called upon by King Balak to pronounce curses upon God's people. And so he sets off and he comes to a narrow pass and he's got his donkey there, of course, and the donkey just won't go through the pass. And so he kicks him and whips him and... Uh, but all along, uh, all along, Balaam can't see that there's actually the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword in the pathway. Oh, to see things clearly. Think about Elisha's servants when the king of, king of Syria surrounded uh, the city. And uh, Elisha prays for his servant that he would not fear because the servant, all the servant can see is uh, a huge Syrian army about to descend and to destroy God's people. And so Elisha prays that the Lord would open the eyes of his servant. And uh, all of a sudden, Elisha's servant uh, sees uh, the chariots of the Lord. 
Oh, to see things clearly. Think about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, and they're walking along the road and someone comes alongside them and talks about how they're, asks them how they're doing. And they're very discouraged um, because they don't know what it all means. Uh, but it turns out that that person walking along beside them uh, is, uh, is Jesus. Uh, oh, to see things clearly. Uh, sometimes the truth is right in front of us if only we had eyes to see. So we come to this passage in Mark chapter 8. We're almost halfway through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and if folks said amen, they would say amen maybe at this point. But uh, no, we're having a wonderful time in the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, but halfway through, uh, and we've come to this point where Jesus has recently healed a man who was deaf and had difficulty speaking. Uh, Jesus has just fed 4,000 people bread and some fish. Uh, the Pharisees came testing him, demanding signs that suited their fancy, and Jesus said no. And then uh, Jesus warned the disciples of the heart and attitude and teaching uh, of the Pharisees, which is like leaven that can permeate uh, its way through a whole crowd, a whole church, a whole family, a whole life, drawing away hearts from the wonder and truth of who Jesus is. And Jesus warns them, don't let that in. And, uh, and Jesus also, you remember, called his disciples to consider, remember what they'd seen and heard, and uh, that they needed to grow in their understanding of the power and majesty and glory of Jesus. And that's where we are. And their boat trip uh, had taken them back uh, to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, to Bethsaida. Remember, there's a number of different Bethsaidas around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're on the northeast side. And we read of an unusual miracle here in this passage, which only the Gospel of Mark records, not in Matthew, Luke, or John, just here in Mark, right after Jesus has just asked his disciples, do you not yet perceive, do you not yet understand? Keep that in mind here. Because with this miracle, Jesus is still, in one sense, going to be asking the same question, do you see anything? This is a miracle uh, about the necessity of having eyes wide open, eyes which can only be opened by the touch of Jesus' hand. First of all, let's notice the Gospel of Mark's continuing emphasis uh, on the wonder and mercy uh, and compassion uh, of Jesus, which is often communicated in this Gospel uh, through the touch of Jesus' hands. Verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him uh, to, to touch him. Blind man's brought to Jesus by some people. The Bible doesn't say exactly who. Maybe neighbors, friends, family. Uh, and they beg Jesus uh, to touch him. They've heard of all the wonderful things Jesus has been doing. And isn't it great to have, uh, have uh, friends or family uh, who are convinced uh, that Jesus is the answer and who will take us to him? Uh, that's what these folks do. Come along. Uh, we're going to take you to Jesus and uh, seek his help. Well, verse 23, Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, lays his hands on him. And again, in verse 25, Jesus will lay his hands on this man's eyes. So three times, no less, in this brief passage, we have this intimate scene of Jesus touching this needy man. Now, you may remember when we began the Gospel of Mark, we, we noted how... Uh, how scholars, commentators have noted that it's Mark, particularly of all the gospel writers, uh, who's concerned with 
uh, as he's telling the story of Jesus to expose to us, to show us along the way all the looks and gestures and emotions and tenderness and compassion of the Savior. And undoubtedly, uh, Mark communicates this to us, as no doubt the Apostle Peter would have communicated to Mark, um, the many times uh, Jesus physically demonstrated his love and care for the lost and the needy uh, through the touch of his hand. Or allowing, uh, allowing the lost and the needy to touch him. So in Mark 1.31, uh, Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. In Mark 1.41, it's a leper. In Mark 3.10, it's the disease. In Mark 5.27, it's a woman subject to bleeding. In Mark 6.56, it's a sick and those, remember, who had it bad. In 7.33, it's a deaf and mute man whom Jesus touches. Now, the other Gospels aren't silent either uh, on this score. In Matthew 17.7, uh, Jesus touches his terrified disciples to calm them down. In Luke 7.14, uh, he touches a widow's dead son uh, to raise that son to life. In Luke 22.51, he touches a soldier who's had his ear cut off to heal him. Whether Jesus touched someone or they touched him, writes one Bible commentator, either way, the afflicted ones were healed. Evidently, in connection with such physical contact, healing power issued from the Savior and was transmitted to the person in need of it. This, however, was no magic. The healing power did not originate in his fingers or his garment. It came straight from the divine and human Jesus, from his almighty will and, he writes, infinitely sympathetic heart. There was healing power in that touch because he was and is as Hebrews 4 says, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It should not escape the reader, writes this author, that according to Mark, Jesus was moved with compassion when he stretched out his hand and touched the leper. The leper's need and faith found an immediate response in the Savior's eagerness to help. And this readiness was one in which his power and his love um, embraced each other. Isn't that wonderful? His power and his love embraced each other. Majesty and compassion embrace each other. Isn't that what the, that's what the, uh, and of course is what the cross is all about. The majesty uh, and the mercy of the Lord. He is fully God, so can bear the weight of the wrath of God poured upon the sins of his people. And he's fully man. He willingly, compassionately suffers in the place of sinners like you and I so that we don't have to. Power and love embracing together in the person of Jesus. So we must not think of Jesus in a sentimental way. There's no sentimental Jesus that is all love but no holiness, no power, no greatness, no godhood, no righteousness, no anger at sin, no awe-inspiring, overwhelming sovereignty over creation itself. We must not think of a sentimental Jesus. But also, we must not think of a stoic Jesus, no cold Jesus, who does not sympathize with our weaknesses. Some people's faith is like uh, ice. You may have heard this. Some people's faith is like ice. Hard and clear, uh, but cold. Uh, because they believe in a hard, clear, uh, and cold God. Because, of course, we... We always become like the God we worship. 
like the Romans and Greeks did. They had immoral gods, confusing gods, immoral gods. You look at Roman and Greek society, that's what it looked like. So whatever, whatever your understanding is of the character of God, your life will show it. If your God is only just and a judge, you will be a judging person. If your God is only love and is not concerned about holiness, uh, you won't be concerned about holiness. But if you believe uh, that uh, power and love embrace each other in Jesus, you'll see Jesus for who, who he really is. He's the same God who flung stars into space. He's the same God who touches sinners like us throughout the Gospel of Mark. Now, of course, he's no longer physically here. He rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. But he is present truly and really uh, by his Spirit. And he is present as his word is proclaimed. He's still present in power and love that needy sinners might know his, his touch upon their life. His power and love for them. He heals us spiritually when our sins are forgiven. He heals us emotionally. Our affections are renewed and restored. He heals us intellectually. Our darkened minds are enlightened. And yes, he will heal us physically in his time and in his way. No man or woman is promised a life free from the grave. And yes, our physical suffering and pain are sometimes relieved for a time by his grace in this life, but only for a time. Even Lazarus uh, had to die again. Our bodies will be laid in the grave, but the believer knows, of course, that's not the end. We will be changed, not only spiritually, but physically. And the mortal will put on immortality. The perishable will put on imperishable. And all things, including our bodies, will be made new. All at the touch of his hand. Second thing we want to notice about this miracle, unique to Mark's gospel, is that the power and love of Jesus is proclaimed to all kinds of sinners in general, but is applied to individual sinners, particularly in a particular way. Another way we could say it is this. Jesus is obviously not a fan of duplication. That is, he never seems to do the same wonderful thing in the same way. That's why uh, one, of the, one of the many reasons I love being a pastor and have the privilege to try and get to know every one of God's people individually. Why? Because though I know that every person in this building who's a Christian has been saved in only one way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's also true that no two people in this building come to be saved in the same way. Everyone has a separate, individual story to tell. Why? Because people are not saved in general, right? People are saved in particular. And this miracle, which Mark includes, is a glorious illustration of it. There are other times in the Bible, of course, you know, when a blind man uh, receives his sight uh, from Jesus. Several times in the Gospels we have this uh, image before. So over in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 27, this is what we read. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, uh, see that no one knows about it. Or over in the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter nine. Uh, you remember this story. As he passed by, he saw a man blind uh, from birth. And this is what he uh, would tell him. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed uh, and came back seeing. There's all sorts of places in the Bible where we read of the blind receiving their sight. Uh, we noted in, in Mark 7:33 that Jesus takes a deaf man away from the crowd uh, privately to be healed on his own. And here in this passage, it's pretty fascinating, it's the only time in the Bible we find Jesus healing a man in what appears to be uh, two steps. Verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. This is truly an amazing scene. The blind man's brought to Jesus. Uh, but then, as one wrote, Jesus himself becomes the conductor of the blind man, takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village. Jesus spits on his eyes, applies saliva to his eyes. Uh, why? Because, again, this blind man can feel Jesus at work as he feels the touch of his hands, as if Jesus is saying, this part of your body, I will restore. Takes his hand away. But the man, he can see it, but he can't see clearly. Um, so Jesus lays his hands on him again. Uh, and the Bible says he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus touches him twice. Now, did somehow, did it not, you know, did it not work the first time? You know, was Jesus somehow lacking power? Well, of course that can't be if you've read with us the gospel of Mark. So there must be, there must be another Another reason this man sent home not to broadcast this healing in the village. Jesus time has not yet come. You remember the crowd had their own ideas and plans for Jesus. Jesus is following the plan and purpose of the father leading eventually to the cross. But a blind man begins to see and then sees everything. Clearly. That word clearly is made up of two Greek words. One, which means afar. And the other word means uh, radiantly or radiance. So it could be translated something like far shining. Uh, that is, at a distance, he could see uh, clear as day. Unlike me with my glasses. But it would be like me being able to see everybody up in that uh, balcony clearly. And uh, seeing the labels on the audio video uh, display there for Paul Williams. Uh, at a distance, clearly, for all of you who have had eye problems or have had eye surgery, cataracts or cataracts removed, uh, you know what this means. 
oh, to see clearly, not, not with blurred vision. Now, I looked up uh, what cataract surgery all involved from the Mayo Clinic, and it's got, uh, it's got like two, three, four pages. <laughs> I read it. Uh, but, you know, all that's involved in trying to get that film off your eyes, and, and, or whatever, it's... Uh, um, here, of course, we read, Jesus laid his hands on him, opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Though there are two steps here, don't, don't get the wrong idea, it's a matter of moments. <laughs> so this is not Jesus using some kind of ancient healing potion that didn't work the first time. No, this is the power of the Lord. It's a matter of moments, but it is two steps. And this man is healed in fulfillment again of Isaiah 35, which said, They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, they're going to see the glory of the covenant God. That's what's happening here in Mark 8, whether it's the deaf man being restored or this blind man. They're seeing the glory of Yahweh in the person of Jesus. Uncontested. But it's a strange way to do it. How does someone come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, it's not always the same. Now, the truth in in general, uh, of course, uh, that applies to all of us, is found in 2 Corinthians 4. It goes like this. Uh, In their case of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When you're without faith in Christ, you are blinded spiritually. Uh, What has to happen? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Somehow your blindness and my blindness at birth spiritually... Somehow God has to shine uh, the light of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts, even though we're blind. That has to happen for everybody who would enter the kingdom of God. We're spiritually blind. God needs to supernaturally, sovereignly, graciously turn on the lights. How does he do that? He uses his word and spirit, preaching the gospel, yes, But the details, the circumstances, the instruments are particular to all. A little slave girl in the life of the leprous Naaman, the Syrian, who says, "Uh, you really need to go see the prophet. There is a prophet in Israel. A flash of lightning to convert the vicious persecutor of Christians named Saul. An earthquake for a nine to five worker in the local jail. A guest speaker at a woman's prayer gathering down by the riverside. So Lydia, who sold purple cloth, could come to believe. For a little boy named Timothy, his mother and grandmother, uh, teaching him the Bible. For Augustine, reading a portion of the Bible. For Martin Luther, reading a portion of Romans, studying the Bible. And what was it? What was it for you? What did the Lord use particularly in your life 
to change you from someone who was blind to the things of God, uh, to see them clearly. Because it's always different in everybody's life. And it's always particular, you see. Hebrews 12 tells us that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us, set before us, looking to Jesus. We are to run our own race, not someone else's race. We must come to see the truth of Jesus with our own eyes, not the eyes of someone else. Have you ever been at a national park where they have those uh, 25 cent or dollar, probably now, dollar uh, binocular viewers, you know, where you step up on this stand and you go to see these... uh, you want to see the uh, horizon or a battlefield or a canyon, whatever it is. Well, what happens when you have uh, two or three children, let's say, uh, wanting to use that one viewer? Because they never have enough uh, at those parks. As soon as one, one gets on to the uh, binoculars there, the others are saying, okay, okay, it's my turn. I want to see. I want to see. It never works for one child to say to the other children, uh, I'll get a look. Relax. I'll take this grand vista in for you. And then I'll describe it to you later. (laughs) Uh, It never works. You need to see. Or else you know you're missing out. You can't see it through someone else's eyes. You need to see yourself. Oh, I I, I miss driving through the West. Through Utah. And all those parks. I could tell you about Bryce's Canyon. And Zion National Park. And Arches National Park. But you have to see it for yourself. I can even show you some souvenir books we we brought home. We have pictures of these parks. I can show you actually the pictures we've taken of our family at these at these at these places, but that wouldn't do it. And even even my memory of having seen these beauties in the past, ah, it's not enough. I need to see them again to behold their beauty. Such it is with the gospel. You cannot see it through the eyes of others, and you cannot simply live off the memory of having seen it many years before. You need to have it always before your eyes. And your eyes need to be wide open to the power and glory before you in the person of Jesus. That's why Hebrews says, keep our eyes fixed on him. And the wonderful truth of Scripture is, friends, this. He will bring his people to see it in his time and in his way. Which brings us back to the question, why this two-stage miracle? (laughs) With a question asked in between. Do you see anything? Says Jesus. Could be translated this way. Do you possibly see anything? Hard to know, 100%, the answer to that question. Jesus never tells us. Why? But what we do know is this. Only Mark has this miracle. And Mark records this miracle right after Jesus' appeal to his disciples. And Jesus' appeal to his disciples included these questions. Do you not yet perceive... Do you not yet understand, verse 18 in this chapter, having eyes, do you not see? The disciples were not seeing 
the way Jesus wanted them to see. The disciples were not seen. The disciples did not have their spiritual ears attuned to the words of Jesus, and the disciples did not have their spiritual vision clear for the works of Jesus. It was almost as if they were seeing him with a blurry vision. It was almost as if they were living their Christian life with cataracts. It was almost as if he was moving around before them, but they weren't really processing what they were seeing. Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I see something. I see movement. It's like trees. I know it's people because they're moving about. We don't know if this man was born blind or became blind, but he's felt a tree at least. He's touched a person. People move, not trees. But no faces, no features. It's a blur. It's really all indistinct. Is this why this miracle is here? Right here in Mark's Gospel? Right after Jesus has said to the disciples, Having eyes, do you not see? Is this why this miracle is so unusual? As much as this miracle is about a blind man having his eyes opened by Jesus, as much as it's about the compassionate touch of Jesus, as much as it's about the specific and individual work of grace by Jesus, it's also about the Lord's continuing ministry of opening the eyes of his disciples. Especially in light of the fact that the very next scene in Mark, which we'll come to next Lord's Day, is the climax of the first half of this book, where Jesus directly asked the disciples, Who do you say I am? Just as the blind man gradually has his eyes open to see clearly, the disciples are having their eyes spiritually opened by Jesus. To see him, you see, in all his glory. Do you see him clearly? Think about God himself, the Trinity. Do you see him clearly? This is what our fathers in the faith confessed about the God you profess to believe, and that I profess to believe. There is but one only, living, true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit. He's invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, can't change, immense, can't contain him. Eternal has always been. Incomprehensible. I will never understand him fully. He is almighty. He has all power. Most wise. Most holy. Most free. Most absolute. Working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his own glory. He's most loving. Our fathers confess. Gracious. Merciful. Long-suffering. Abundant in goodness and truth. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. When you think about God, do you see him clearly? Think about creation. And he spoke. And it came to be. Think about the incarnation. Where uh, the eternal 
second person of the Trinity, comes and Philippians 2 says, humbles himself, takes on human flesh, humbles himself. Think about salvation. Think about grace. Do you see all that clearly? Think about the believer's transition at death, entering heaven. (laughs) Think about the return of Jesus. Think about the resurrection from the dead. Do you see everything clearly? Now, clearly in the Bible, there is no faith. There is weak faith. And there is strong and still growing faith. To have no faith is to still be blind. We need the touch of Jesus. To have weak faith is to see enough to see something. Sometimes, as someone once said, our faith can be as thin as a spider's thread. And yet, yet it is, it is connected to Jesus. But it's still a spider's thread. And it needs to grow. We say to Jesus, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, you may not have eye problems. You may have 20-20 vision or better. But do you have eyes to see Jesus for who he is? That's what this miracle is all about. The disciples who've been with Jesus many months were still growing in their vision. Their vision was blurry at times. They saw a movement they couldn't explain. Healings were all around them. Power of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus was evident, but their eyes needed to be opened wide and the film of sin and doubt had to be peeled away and the blinders removed and the fog had to clear and their sight had to be restored so they could see afar off what was in front of them and what was in the distance, what was coming. And to see it clearly. I remember uh, on our honeymoon many years ago, we were driving home from the east coast of Canada, Prince Edward Island, back to Ontario, Canada, from a trip we'd taken there. We were driving home, I believe, through the United States, and we were driving right through, uh, through New Hampshire. Uh, I think it was close to the middle of the night. We were trying to make it home as quick as we could, and, uh, and the fog was thick. Lisa was sleeping, uh, but not for long. Um, I was dreamily driving uh, down the road, uh, down this foggy highway, and all of a sudden, uh, as I remember it, the fog cleared, and it was open space for a great distance ahead. I could see again, far off. But what I saw was a moose or a large deer running down what appeared appeared to be the middle of the road right in front of us. And... uh, And I swerved out of the way. Lisa woke up. We missed him. And uh, continued on our way. (laughs) I saw clearly. (laughs) In that case. There was was danger in that case ahead. But oh, to see all things clearly about Jesus. Friends, the glory of our God. The ugliness of my sin. The power and love of Jesus and the wonder of the cross. Wrote Clara Scott in 1895, Open my eyes that I may see 
glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes. Illumine me. Spirit divine. Oh, that we would have eyes wide open that we might see Jesus, love Jesus, and worship this Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're reminded again today uh, as we read this passage of how much we are dependent on that sovereign, good, and gracious work of your Holy Spirit. For Lord, in ourselves we are blind, the Bible tells us. In ourselves we will not see. And like the disciples, even when you work in our life, O Lord, our eyesight can be so dull to the glories, so dull to the majesty, so dull to the beauty, so dull to the power, uh, so dull to the compassion of the person of Jesus Christ. And so, O Lord, we pray today that you would open our eyes wide to see. We don't want to just see uh, trees uh, walking. Oh, Lord, help us to see clearly, help us to see from afar the truth as it is in Jesus, that we would love you, serve you, and worship you as we ought. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.